Hello, everybody. Merry Christmas. And I feel slightly guilty in a way because last week's episode, I got so excited about the prospect of Christmas. And then within a mere matter of hours following recording that, it was announced about, well, the kind of lockdown structure around Christmas, which I know has affected so many people um, all around the country, all around the world. So I say Merry Christmas as a personal thank you, really, from me to you for listening to the podcast and for your support. And I hope that you can find some celebration in some way today, whether that is with um, loved ones or whether you are having to spend it on your own. Know that we are all thinking of you and that I send so much love and gratitude your way. And let's hope that 2021 is a wonderful year. I mean, even just a a mediocre year, it would be better than the one that we've just had. But thank you so much for all your support um, in this podcast. And I really can't thank you enough. And we're really amazed and very proud that we've been able to keep this going and provide you with an episode every week and at times doubling up with guests as well. Um, So who have we got for you on this Christmas Day soundtracking special? Well, none other than my fellow's partner in crime, Andy Burrows. Yay! As well as teaming up with Tom in their Smith & Burrows guys, Andy has drummed with Razorlight, is Ricky Gervais' go-to guy, and scored Snowman and the Snowdog with Elan Eshkery, amongst, well, quite a lot of other things. So why don't we start there with Snowman and the Snowdog? And here's an Elan's cue, Christmas. Andy Burrows, thanks for coming to do my podcast. Thank you. It's lovely to be here with you. Which you've featured on in the past, been talked about. Uh, yes. Yes, Mr yes. Gervais. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess it'd be a really nice place to start thinking about was the idea of composing music for the moving image, something that you'd always considered and wanted to do as a musician and a songwriter. Yeah, definitely. I don't think I would ever pretend that it was my sort of like childhood ambition yeah, to be a film composer, because I think I just always wanted to be a drummer in a band. But, you know, I grew up playing percussion and in orchestras and brass bands and stuff. And so we were also, we were always playing music from films and like everybody <laughs> watching films. And so I think it always fascinated me. But certainly as I've gotten older, yeah, I've, I've realised just what a wonderful thing it is. It is a bit of a staple school orchestra diet, isn't it, of the end of year performance always seems to in some way or shape involve either Star Wars themed Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> it was, in, our, in my case, it was always Jurassic Park. 
Uh, <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I think at some sort of embarrassing concerts it got, you know, you're doing like the theme from Ghostbusters and stuff, you know. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's a very school concert, isn't it? <laughs> Which is great though, yeah. because it's, it makes it feel totally accessible for people for kids particularly you know this music that they watch on those big screens and then suddenly they're they're playing it and they get that physical reaction to being in that group of people and feeling that the familiarity as well with those songs and you're playing them in a school concert it just makes it makes music even more amazing and more magnificent yeah when did you so what was the first piece of music that you wrote then for because you did some work on some gaming stuff didn't you i've done a fair bit with with elan or for um the Sims. Yeah. The gaming um, world's massive though when it comes to music and composing. Yeah, it's huge. He's just he's been working on something absolutely ginormous, which I've forgotten what it is, but he's been doing some crazy huge game, which is like, you know, I guess the equivalent of working on a, a movie in the nineties or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's just yeah, I mean they've got huge budgets and Yeah. You know, and they're never ending as well. So if you get a game, <laughs> you're sort of doing it for you know, it's like your retirement. <laughs> when you're working on a game music for a game though, is it different to if you're writing for a TV series for a film, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I obviously my my experience of working on a game is fairly limited, but my involvement with Sims was was being in the studio with Elan, and we just would spend days just doing different loops of chords, finding different melodies over the chords, finding different sounds for each of the melodies, and basically just make making variations all the way along, changing the key, then changing the melody, then change leaving the melody the same and changing the instrument and doing things like that and just basically sort of creating all of these loops and building them up. Because it's just, it, you're, you're making music for so much, I guess. I mean, I don't play computer games, but I know that they just go on and on and on. They're sort of <laughs> infinite. So yeah, it blows yeah. my mind the amount of music that's got to be there and got to be created. And it's brilliant because all of it's totally bespoke and all of it's, you know, yeah. every time you turn a corner, there's a new bit of music. And every time you go up some stairs, there's a different instrument. And I feel very lucky to have even had a little glimpse into that world. But yeah, it just seems to me like it's never ending. He's still got, he's still in the studio right <laughs> now doing it. Five years he's not going to be let out for a long time. It's a brilliant job, but you never get to go. Um, and are you right? But what are you writing for? Because we'll talk about Snowman and the Snow Dog and Afterlife in a second. And you're writing for specific things, be it emotions, be it picture. What were you were you just writing for? Was it a narrative or was it a? It was like a, um, seasons. I think I remember. Amazing. Like, um, yeah, it'd be like it'd be like this is going to be spring. And so we started doing some sort of like brighter, more That's hopeful awesome. chords. And, you know, it always reminds me of um, of doing music at school or something. It's that really, it's like when you get, oh my God, we're going to watch a film today. Or today we get to sort of <laughs> brainstorm, you know. And it feels like that. You get into the studio and you're just, it's, it's there's something very childlike about being given like the title of a task and then just going for it and yeah. letting everything go and just, you know, having fun with it. And um yeah, that seems to be the real job there. You know, it's a grown-up proper job, just letting your imagination go wild. And then did that, working with Elan on that, lead to you working with him on Snowman and the Snowdog then? No, Sims came after that. Oh, um, wow, okay. Snowman, Snowman and Snowdog was 2012, so... Wow. Yeah, I think that's God, the first... God, is that, it? Mm, Bloody hell. Yeah. 
It's a long time ago now. That was the first bit of filmy thing I did, which was quite a quite an amazing first opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Well, when there's already a thing there, you know, in terms of that that original film from 1982, which you know the 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 Howard Blake score and that Alan Jones song is part of Christmas, really, isn't oh my gosh, it? It's, it's like the, it's absolutely part of Christmas. I was utterly obsessed with that film and watched it multiple times every year because I think eventually I pestered my mum into getting the the VHS <laughs> getting the video so we could watch it more than it was already on the telly but it was just it always signified the beginning of you know like Christmas Eve went properly magic mm-hmm. once you'd watched the snowman and the score although I, I you know when you're little you don't call it a score you yeah. don't know what you t- it's just what the film is all one mm-hmm. isn't it and the music yeah. it was just perfect basically 20 minutes of like festive perfection When you were going into writing for Snowman and the Snowdog, then did you? I don't know. It's because it's, 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 it's interesting when there's an existing thing. Like almost when I was speaking to Ludwig Gorenson about scoring the Mandalorian, and for him, he said he went back to listen to John Williams pre-Star Wars, so that he wasn't being kind of clouded by Star Wars, but he still felt like he was in the spirit of John Williams yeah. in a way. So for you, with with Snowman and the Snowdog, making sure it was your own thing, it's your creative ideas. But it's still having a connection to that original film. Yes. Was that quite juggling, easy? You just reminded oh, no, me of John, it's John Williams, isn't it? That's our school concert. <laughs> yeah. It's not just it's not just like Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah. Jurassic every, Park, every, yeah, E.T., every all of it. Yeah, yeah. John it's Williams. our childhood. Our yeah, childhood, our childhood. Yeah. Every single school yeah. concert. Uh, anyway, sorry. Um, if I ever get him on this podcast, oh which I try weekly. Yeah. Um, that would be. I, I think I'll just self-combust. I think that would just be the most amazing. You'll get there. He'll, he'll, he'll. Anyway, um, I threatened to like just fly to LA and or California and just like sit outside his house. And, like, like, I don't know why I forgot in. that. I forgot because when you said about like, is it something you always wanted to do? I've always because so many people, quite understandably so, want to be film composers. I think I forgot that actually, even though I definitely didn't have that as an ambition when I was little, I was completely obsessed with everything John Williams has ever done. We all, I think, we all are without yeah. even knowing, aren't we? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's like you're, that thing you said there about like when you're when you're little, you kind of. 
the film is just is the whole experience. You don't kind don't, of pick yeah, out, oh, the cinematography's great or yeah, the, the score's great. You know, it's, you don't think yeah, about even it in as that a, way. Even as a musician and someone that I was completely obsessed with music from a really young age, but I don't think I ever sort of made the distinction between the film and the music. Not to say I didn't notice how brilliant music was, but I just, I think it was doing its job. Mm-hmm. I think when you're just watching a film, it's just all one thing, yeah. isn't it? Anyway, but um, yeah, I think, I mean, firstly... Just to go back to the snowman and snow dog, I literally, even when we're talking about it now, I still can't believe mm-hmm. that I ended up getting that job, you know, with Elan. Thanks to Elan, I, I got it. But like, it's it's absolutely nuts because I just love that original film so much. And when we were asked to do it and, you know, found out that it was the same illustrators and, and this, uh, much of the same team and people that did the original, it just blew my mind completely. It just, I was just, yeah, I can't believe that I got the opportunity to do that. Um, but yeah, I, I started watching it in the middle of summer. I started watching the original, which was a joy just to go back and the sort of a, <laughs> I don't know, 32-year-old bloke just went back to in July watching The Snowman every day. Um, and I was just sort of thinking about how Walking in the Air was, was just such, is such an iconic song. And I think what the best, the, the greatest thing that I realised was just that I was never going to, and I didn't, don't mean this in a sort of a non-ambitious way. I was like, I want to make a beautiful song for the flying scene. I really want it to be so magical. But I'm, I've made my piece right before even I started writing with the fact that nothing was ever going to supersede that amazing song. Not even if you've got the greatest band or the, or, or the greatest songwriter mm-hmm. in the world to come in and have a go. There was something about how that song is entrenched in our hearts, in our Christmassy hearts. <laughs> and I think from that moment on, once I'd sort of made my peace with that, I still felt a little bit scared and a little bit apprehensive about how I was going to make sure that this score and these songs still were very special for this new generation of parents and kids. Yeah. But just being at ease with the fact that it didn't need to, nothing needed to get in the way of walking in the air. That song is always going to be the snowman forevermore. And then from that moment on, I just had the most incredible time. And went the first time we sat in the little cabin that Elan and Steve have at the bottom of the garden where we did that thing, it was just so magical. It like makes me feel, it still makes me feel magic when I think about how magical it was getting stuck <laughs> into that project. It was amazing. Where did you start? Did you have the illustrations? Did you have the, nar- the, the script? How- that's, yeah, that's right. So we were, I was living in, that was a very sort of short period of time where we lived in New York. We moved to to New York. And so when I found out that we got the job, I was in very, very hot and sweaty Brooklyn in, in an apartment. And so it was all a f- sort of a slightly odd scenario looking at these cold, snowy, beautiful, festive pictures whilst being, you know, blasted by an air conditioner in a little flat in, <laughs> in Brooklyn. Um, but it was just, it was amazing because we went to a few meetings at Lupus Films in Islington. And I remember getting, going back to the airport to, to fly back with this folder full of drawings or, or you know pictures of the drawings mm-hmm. just hand drawn with little bits of color 
but not finished and little bits of the film on our phone not finished. I just felt like I'd been let into a top secret world that no no one at that point no one even knew that the film was being made it was just so magic it's got such a specific look to it mm. the illustration and the, the way the that color. it quivers yeah slightly. it's, it's like amazing. the animation's just it's gorgeous it's kind of it's quite old-fashioned but it's timeless as well in yeah. terms of there's so much emotion in those drawings yeah and those characters that have created and was the idea that there would always be a song as well? Yeah, they said that they wanted to have... I mean, I must... I have to say that um, I must give Elan credit for, you know, because I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have got the opportunity to do it had he not have sort of put me forward. So, you know, I'm very grateful to him for that. Um, but I think the first thing they told me that they really wanted was, was a song for the flying scene. Um, and I got to work on it pretty much straight away. forget the when we'd recorded a demo of it or something and I think they somebody I can't remember the order of how things happened but I must have sent the demo to them and they must have put it and it was so funny sitting in the the little shed the cabin studio and we were all packed in all of the production team the directors everybody just watching my little song to the thing and it was just I remember thinking oh gosh this could be really awkward because if that's tense yeah I was like and, and also it's my that was my first foray into like you know writing for Film. I never, I never done anything like this before. So the fact that they they enjoyed it and liked it, and, and I think even really felt like it fitted very well early on, just was such an incredible feeling and gave me such an excitable confidence mm. to carry on with the rest of the the score. Of which, obviously, Elan was you know huge in in terms of um, composing and creating that score. But we did it very much together, and we came up with the themes together. And once that flying theme song uh, had gone down as well as it had it kind of made the rest of it just an absolute joy you know oh, all wow. like we did songs for like building the snowman and mm. songs for the downhill race and songs for the party and i love that downhill race yeah it's amazing and the downhill race is amazing because that's got um me and dom howard on drums doing a do- <laughs> drum duet any uh, opportunity for double drums yeah double drums yeah um <laughs> tim wheeler on the guitar i mean if you get the soundtrack the full soundtrack you get yeah the who's that? so we so, yeah it's got dom howard on drums it's got tim wheeler on guitar and it's got Tom, uh, Tom O'Dell on piano, and bless him, Tom came down to play on The Snowman, and he went home that Christmas. I think it was the Christmas that his own career was starting to blow up and another love was kicking up at radio. But I remember he told all his family, his grandparents, they were like, yeah, can't wait to watch The Snowman at Christmas, I'm on the piano. And I, I'd forgotten to tell him, I don't think I knew that, they, that, that his bit of this, the song had actually been snipped off. <laughs> so there's like one, there's like one piano, Bang. ding! And they were like, huh? You sure you're in that, Tom? 
Poor Tom. Um, but yeah, if you get the soundtrack to the Snowman and Snowdog, like the, the full soundtrack, that, that downhill race is full of indie rock royalty. <laughs> it's yeah. like the, the best like super group in the yeah, band absolutely. ever for Snowman and the Snowdog. Snow yeah. <laughs> it's so great. I still have an ambition to get that band together one day and just play downhill race for anyone who cares. I'll, I'll be there You'll for be there. sure. such a beautiful marriage of the kind of you know the pictures and and the music you created and what I've kind of learned from speaking to a lot of composers on here is that you have to be quite thick-skinned as well you know you were talking about being in that cabin and everybody being there and you're about to it's like different to being in a band you're you're not facilitating music for you as a group of musicians or as a band you're facilitating this other thing first thing Hans, Hans Zimmer told me was like grow a thick skin and be prepared to be told that we don't need that. We don't want that sort of thing because it's not about you. It's about the, which I just think is, is, an, is a, a tough thing to kind of almost get your head around almost in a way. Do you know what I mean? You kind of spend so much time and energy and creativity and creating things and someone goes, no, we don't need that or it's not right. And you can't take it personally because it's not about you. It's just, it's not right for the picture or the scene or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty sensitive as well. And I think um, I get upset quite easily and if I haven't done you know the right job or something that's going to move somebody or or um or make somebody happy or whatever or you know I think I I would take it quite personally but I think that maybe because I was I don't know if it's something to do with just being in the deep end for the first time I'd ever done something I wonder if that kind of helped like an express thick thick skinnedness yeah. I mean I don't think I've developed a particularly thick skin but I, I you, what you're saying is completely right you you can't take it too personally yeah. I mean obviously if if it uh, you know, I think if you're just endlessly being told that it's wrong and it's wrong, it's wrong, it might be like maybe <laughs> yeah. I, maybe this wasn't maybe I'm not cut out for this. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think you definitely do, and I think um, that I think yeah, I think I was fast tracked into learning a lot about constructive criticism. Yeah. You can't be like a big baby like you can be yeah. in a band. What is it? <laughs> Name and no names. <laughs> no names. <laughs> but but is it diff- Is it a different? Is it a different process? Is it a different? If do you find the 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 process different to because you do so many things you know you you have your solo work mm. you you did stuff with Razorlight you work with Tom Medell you you work with loads of other artists as well and the, t- the stuff with with Smith as well Smith, yeah. so are the is the the act of creating music different working with a band or an artist than it is working for a TV show or a film yeah it is I mean I, you know I guess the more I think about it it's not massively different because you're always collaborating with somebody whether it be your bandmates yeah whether it be when it comes you know the films it, it'd be the director or you know so you're always working with somebody and you're always working together and even with 
the the solo records that I've done, you know, I, I always think it's very important to be producing it with somebody and getting ideas from them and making it as much theirs as it is yours. I mean, I'm sure everybody has very different ways of working and feeling about this. Um, but I would say that I'm always a big fan of the collaborative side of it and mm. letting other people in. I, uh, but it is being in a band, you know, I, I don't want to, sort of, again, naming no names, talking, not, not going too much into it, but it's, it, there's a, quite a lot of diplomacy required in bands every band and all the bands I've ever been in, in it, it seems to be the case. Um, and not that, and that's not a bad thing. I'm just saying, yeah. that, you know, you, it's all about making everybody feel confident and excited about an idea. Collaborating. Yeah, collaborating. But then with, with I feel like with the, the film and TV stuff, it's been nice because I've, I've generally been, you know, a little bit more in my own bubble and mm-hmm. not having to worry about like, you know, the bass player or the guitarist or the keyboard player or the singer or myself in that, yeah. within that group. So it's been, it's quite nice to just, little bit more be able to go into your own world and then every so often bring it back to the to the film to yeah. the director and then have a talk about it then go back into your world yeah you know what i mean yeah, i feel yeah, like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. you can at least go into your bubble a little bit more than you can when you're in a band where you're just constantly in the room together or mm-hmm. you know how did the the ricky gervais uh, work start because he loves you <laughs> oh man his little face lights up whenever oh, well, you mention I... your name he's like <laughs> he's like it's like a little puppy like that. well i mean he's he's incredible i i absolutely adore him he's um he's one of the loveliest human beings on the planet i i really i can't he's been so supportive of me and so brilliant to me and the fact that i've gotten to work on so many things with him is just i mean it just feels even weird talking to you to, about the fact that i work with ricky it's crazy um did it start with Life on the Road? Yeah, it started Sorry, with... Sorry, I didn't mean to sing that at you, but it's just such a catchy... Life tune. on the Road. Don't need a heavy load. Half a tank should get me to Milbank. I fill her up and head down to Sidcup. It's just a meeting. It's only fleeting. It's just a pitch. And then I'm up to Ipswich. Life on the Road. Don't need a That was such an interesting, I mean, I love the film. I think it's such an interesting concept of taking that character and putting him in his own musical film, really. Mm. I mean, it, it's, the whole thing was, was awesome. I mean, it was when we moved back from America, from living in America in 2013, I was, we, we were moving house, but we hadn't moved into our house yet. So I was staying at a friend's and I was walking up Hampstead High Street to go and get a new temporary phone. That's right. I had my phone stolen the night before. I, I remember now. I was in the pub and this kid came up to me and said he wanted me to sponsor him. And then the next thing I knew, I didn't have a phone. Uh, wow. I, I remember that. And then, yeah, the next morning I was going up to the Vodafone shop to get a temporary <laughs> phone. And Ricky Gervais was walking down the hill. And I've met Ricky on, like, the Jonathan Ross show years before when I was on there with Razorlight. So we had met and we'd had a nice chat and he drew a big uh, cock on my arm. <laughs> And stuff like that. So that's great. So we'd already like <laughs> broken the ice. Um, yeah, and we bumped into each other. And he, he just said, um, hey, man, how's it going? What are you up to at the moment? And obviously I sort of slightly, you know, shit myself. And I was like, oh, I'm doing this. And I played the drums in this band. And uh, uh, I, I did the music for Snowman. Did you see the Snowman? And I, uh, and I basically reeled off this ridiculously long, completely unnecessary sort of in the street CV. Because I didn't know why he was asking me what I was up to. <laughs> Um, and then he was just like, oh, well, anyway, that sounds great, Andy. But um, 
someone told me that you might be a good person to put a band together for me because I'm thinking of doing David Brent and stuff. And I was just like, wow, yeah, I'd love to put a band together for you. And then the next few weeks, we just ended up chatting on the phone. And every time his name would pop up on my phone, I was like, this is wicked. This is amazing. I'm so glad I moved back to London. Um, yeah. So we basically just sort of, um, you know, like a couple of teenagers formed a band, really. And it was amazing. It felt like that. We were in the rehearsal room every couple of weeks. It was, it was me and it was the band that I, I had as my, as for my solo stuff. And I yeah. just flipped it with the guitarist so that I went back on the drums. And then Ricky was on vocals and it was absolutely brilliant. And then we started doing some gigs. Doc Brown joined us for, yeah. the, for the raps and it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. We did sort of two years worth of writing a few tunes together. I mean, generally Ricky wrote all the stuff, but I would send him demos of bits and bobs and arrange some stuff. And we just had a lot of fun playing around with the songs and playing gigs. And the more I think about it now, looking back, it was actually, yeah, it was like a couple of it was like a couple of mates at school forming a band and it was um, just so happened that it had David Brent as the front man. Um, and then, yeah, a couple of years later, I got a call from him or somebody at Christmas time, actually, probably okay. just after I'd watched The Snowman. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he'd said, uh, he said that he was thinking about turning this thing that we've been doing, um, in, you know, in the venues into a, a film, mm-hmm. a feature-length film about, oh, about David Brent. I didn't realise it had worked that way. Yeah. Because I remember coming to see... You guys at the Hammersmith Apollo. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I love it. Like, oh, yeah, we just put a band together and we're playing at the Hammersmith Apollo. Yeah. <laughs> so I know. Like, yeah, it was a fairly fun. That was the one difference between teenage band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first gig was at the Railway Inn. This one was the, at the uh, at the Hammersmith Apollo. Yeah. With Coldplay. We were supporting Coldplay. That's so funny. Yeah. What was that like then? Kind of taking that, kind of going in the reverse way, I guess, in a way of kind of having the, the band and then, and then there'd been a film. Yeah, well, totally. I mean, that's why I think again, I've been I've been so lucky with 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 my work on film or TV because I didn't, and I don't mean this to sound like um, like it just fell into my lap because I don't think it did. I think it came about because of years of doing various things and being in bands. But again, like with Snowman, with it coming about in a slightly different and individual way, not, the Life on the Road stuff came about because we were having such fun doing the band and and, yeah. and the songs, and I think Ricky was really feeling excited about that. And so when it came to doing the film, I was able to approach it very much from like the way I would perhaps do that in a band as opposed to maybe just getting a job on a film and then being like, right, I'm composing yeah. this. You know what I mean? Yeah, it just, yeah, yeah, it all felt like we had a, a sense of ownership already yeah. of, of, the, of what we were up to. And you were felt, enjoying it. Yeah, that's what I mean. We were really enjoying it. We knew what we were doing. And I think I immediately understood what was required of me from Ricky to make this, you know, musically come to life. Because mm-hmm. all the songs were were there really so did they almost kind of help him like do, I, mean, I mean I imagine he only already had an idea of the script in his head in terms of what, how that was going to work but then all the other music around that as well for the film yeah I think I mean I, I would imagine he probably knew what he was doing from a lot earlier on yeah. than he let, let on to me I, I think I just was like oh wicked we're doing gigs great <laughs> um he pro- I'm sure he had the idea of making this into a thing long before I did but yeah so there was the, yeah the, the band music the songs kind of you know they just they sort of took on a, a life of their own and and we knew they would because from the moment that they were like a little demo that he would send me from his phone to mastering them at abbey road ready for the film you know they were always going to sound the way they did because they were just sort of classic three chord rock songs sold my shack in memphis bought me a chevrolet Six-string in the back and a bottle of Jack And I headed down to Mexico way Singing ooh, 
The other stuff, the incidental stuff around it, again, it felt very natural because it still wanted to stay in that bandy world, but it had to be... It, that Again, that was like me learning a little bit like I did on Snowman, that whole thing about the music being so subtle that you almost don't notice it, but if it wasn't there, you, you would. A little yeah. bit like going back to when we were at school and John Williams and, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, and it all just being one thing. You, yeah. you, you, and I suppose I'm not comparing what I've done for a second to John Williams. What I mean is I think what... You know, really learning that that incidental score is almost not there. Mm. But if it's not there, it's like there's a massive hole yeah. and something missing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so again, it was just more learning of, of that for me. It just so happened that me learning it was at the same time as getting to do this awesome film. Yeah. And then we also got asked to be in the film as well. So it was even more <laughs> crazy, you know? Yeah. Was that fun? Yeah, I don't. I've n- I have no aspirations whatsoever to be an actor or be in a film. So I didn't get like overly excited about it. And my wife always takes the mickey out of me that I was so grumpy through those few months of filming about the early starts because <laughs> it was quite an early start. And she was like, "Yeah, but you get picked up in like a luxury car and driven to a trailer." And I was like, "Yeah, I know, but I just you know it's just quite early." <laughs> um, but it was I'm great. I'm a musician. I don't get. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, but it was it was awesome. It was brilliant. I mean, we were totally spoiled. You know, we were um, yeah, we all had our own trailer and and we were uh, yeah, we were we were thoroughly looked after. But it was an amazing thing to do. Did he talk to you at that time about his plans for afterlife? Did you know about afterlife and that it was it was on the on the cards? We were, we were all of the stuff we've recorded. All of the stuff I've done with Ricky, we do at Air Adele, which is a studio in in right slap bang in the middle of London, which I still I just adore. It's my easily my favorite place to record because it's just like you just go into this secret place mm. and then you walk out and then two minutes later you're on oxford street and no one knows it's there and it's just brilliant um so we did all of life on the road in there and at some point during the towards the end of the recording sessions he he said to me that he wanted to do this thing called afterlife and he told me a little bit about it so i'm pretty sure that towards the end of recording life on the road we tried a few I mean, I may have muddled this up in my head. I can't really remember, but we started trying to do a few bits of music for that. So again, Ricky must have been thinking about Afterlife yeah. way before he let on. Um, I think it's just also exciting. I can't, um, as you can tell, I can't really seem to remember anything and how things came about. But yeah, Afterlife definitely emerged at the very tail end of Life on the Road. Because the, 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 the use of music in Afterlife, I think, is so kind of, it's got a very important role in it, both in terms of the, the needle drops yeah. That, that he uses, but how the score and the cues have such a specific and beautiful kind of role in terms of the pace of the show. Yeah. At what point do, did you did you start working on on that? Because I imagine that he knew pretty early on what music he wanted to use in terms of existing music. Yeah, and I'm sure he could afford anything that he wanted for that as well. So, what point were you? Did you start working on that and? And I love listening to him talk about how involved he gets with even that side of it as well. It's so because he loves music. He loves he absolutely creating. He's, yeah, he's one of the biggest music fans that I've ever met. He's so switched on, you know, to all types of music. You know, new music he's got a, a vast knowledge of, and and obviously just know, knows so much about music and old music, and has shown me so much 
that I didn't know before. He really was thinking about the soundtrack side of things to Afterlife. I mean, obviously, I don't know when he started thinking about the story, but I, I know for a fact that he was sending some of the songs that he put into into it yeah. way before they started shooting it. You know, so he was obviously thinking about the the mood, yeah, the color of it, the 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 specific songs he wanted to use, and also where he wanted me to try and take the incidental score. And I, you know, I continue to learn so much from him. He's so passionate about every tiny little detail of what he does. And that's just, you know, it's incredibly inspiring. And and the music being absolutely no exception. He's always sending me songs and he's always sending me ideas. And sometimes he'll send them at times where we're not doing any work. We're not doing anything. He's just thinking about it and he's thinking ahead. And perhaps he wants me to have a think about it too. And it's amazing. It's amazing to, to get that kind of additional musical education from somebody like somebody like him, you know, um, but I think he gets it from you too. You're kind of, you know, it's it's. I hope so. He, it, from hearing him something. talk about working with you on it, he kind of, you know, you feed him. It feels like it's a kind of it's a two way streak. It's, yeah. It's you, he's he's learning so much from the experience of of working with you with the craft of song making with the craft of creating music. I hope so. I hope I'm well. You know, I guess I'm touch wood. I'm st- we're still working together. So uh, <laughs> so um, you know, hopefully it is a two way street. I, I, but I do really. I feel I feel like it's such a an amazing blessing for me to to be learning from somebody like him and learning firsthand from somebody like him and you know I think the whole thing of I know I know I've already sort of said it already and I'm sure it's what every composer you talk to talks about but the subtlety of a score and the and and the the fact that it just wants to sit there mm-hmm. not really sort of intruding at all but the minute it's not there it just seems like something's wrong and I think that I've Obviously, had to learn that on the job anyway, because again, it went went straight into doing something huge like this. But I think just learning that from him has been amazing because he, he's he's just taught it to me as we've gone along. And sometimes when we've been in the studio and I put something down that I think is subtle and I think is spot on, sometimes it might have been, but more often than not, they'll be just he just wants to take it back just a little bit further, make it a little bit more. And I'm just like, really more subtle. <laughs> but actually, then when it goes in the picture and you're watching it back, and it just has such a it has such a powerful effect, some of those things. And I, and I love that I'm just being taught like that on the job. Yeah. Kind of almost getting it right by myself, but not quite. And then being taught by, you know, someone who I think is a bit of a master. Mm. Where do you start when you're, because you play so many instruments, you know, it's, it's what's what's your go-to when you're starting to think of creating, if you're thinking of ideas, is it? Drum yeah. kit, which is not right for afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you he's... say that, but rhythm's so important. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. But yeah, it just seems like drum kit is not the right start, is it? After life, right? One, two, three, four. <laughs> um, no, I, to be honest with you, it's always you know I have a sit on the piano and tinker around with mm-hmm. little ideas and melodies, and it's so it's so interesting, like coming up with ideas and sending them to to Ricky in their really early earliest of forms, and sometimes like really like getting something that he loves. And getting a really sort of enthusiastic bit of feedback and, you know, then developing it and then sometimes sending something and just. <laughs> OK. <laughs> um, it's good. Yeah. And that's what, like you were saying earlier on, that's where you have to develop that kind of slightly thicker skin and just like just not worry about it. You know, not everything you do is going to go down well. Yeah, but you have to develop that. With collaborations and working relationships, you have to develop that honesty. Yes, and That's... it's quite a satisfying thing to de- to develop and achieve the honesty because you realise that it's just quite a nice sort of grown up way of communicating with each yeah. other, you know, rather than just 
you know, <laughs> avoiding sort of real things and talking via other people. That's not healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, good, it's good to be honest and, yeah. and say what you think. Yeah, totally. And what, what strikes me as amazing about having worked on Afterlife with Ricky and, and Life on the Road is that they're two so different projects. You know, Life on the Road was all about a rock and roll band. Very much up my street, you know, yeah. um, obviously you could start on the drum kit yeah. every time with that. Um, and Afterlife being just this very subtle, sort of ethereal, otherworldly sort of thing. But it was still, but the creative process was very much the same. And Ricky would often be in the studio and we'd just be messing around with sounds and pedals and noises and taking the lid off a piano and playing it with a with a hammer and a bow and, a, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and just all of this stuff. It was the same enjoyable, creative this process of endless possibility and I just uh, yeah mm. it feels so great to have had the opportunity to work with him on all of these brilliant things who's your favorite drummer oh <laughs> I should definitely have an answer for that. well I guess I guess John Bonham but I just feel like yeah jo John Bonham Stuart Copeland Keith Moon uh, yeah anyway <laughs> I said drummer yeah yeah sorry yeah 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 Bonham <laughs> it is uh any good real fan of music will know that by celebrating Christmas, part of that is by listening to Funny Looking Angels by oh, yes. Smith and Burroughs. It is now a staple part of the Christmas diet and yes. should be forevermore with every family Absolutely. in the world. Absolutely. I think. But there's, I'll get to a couple of this, to that in a second, but there's one piece of music on that album, Rosalind. Oh, yeah. It is, I mean, for me, it's like Christmas in a jar. Mm. It's just the most beautiful little piece of music of kind of instrumental music in the middle of this album mm. of wonderful original pieces, covers and things. Oh, my God, I love that piece of music so much. You've always been really sweet about that. Oh. Uh, I think I remember you it's saying like a, lots of Christmases ago, you were like, you should do something for the TV or film. Cause that, <laughs> yeah. It just reeks kind of if you could if you could bottle the emotion of Christmas, Rosalind on Funny Looking Angels for me, is it? Oh, thank you. I'm quite welling up thinking about it. It's oh. just such a beautiful... No, you know when music makes you cry for all the emotions? Yes. I'm, I might be crying, but I'm I'm happy, but yeah. I have a sort of... There's a slightly kind of... I remember a sad time, but, you know, it's, it's all the emotions. It's yeah. unbelievable. I think there's a lot of moments on that album that are a little bit... I've had one too many pints and I'm getting a bit teary. <laughs> and I've been talking at you now for a long time. I feel like it's quite an, it's quite an emotion, like a happy emotional... It's, a li it's just a too many beers at Christmas uh, emotion <laughs> album, isn't it? Um, I think Tom and I really achieved what we wanted to with th those songs in, in that they do... They are full of, like, Christmas cheer, but with a with a good heavy dose of... Christmas tear. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Rosalind is no exception. Written as, a, written as an, an ode to the road that was living on at the time.
but those two those two tracks, um, the Saint New Jersey and um, when the Thames froze. I mean, they're for me, and and taking that's that the song fa- by James Corden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi, James. Merry Christmas. Hi, hey, James. Merry Christmas. <laughs> um, the, but you know, taking the fact that I'm married to Smith and you're one of my dearest friends, that there are something I think wonderfully iconic about those pieces of music and the songs and the lyrical content and how they are not scared about absolutely wearing their influences on their sleeve, but them being absolutely unique to you two as well. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. God damn this snow Will I ever get where I want to go And so I skate across the Thames Hand in hand with all my friends All the things that we planned My son's eyes and the outline of his hand And even though I hate the cold Constant reminder that I'm getting old Another year draws to its close And tired London slows When I dream tonight I'll dream of you And when the tears I think well that's why I think that's why it feels so that's why that album has always felt so right and so honest is because I think that it's quite it's it's quite rare sometimes if you form a band or or, or in that case a duo that you can kind of come together and actually every little element of each other is sort of welcome on that on that creative you know process mm-hmm. there wasn't any it's the perfect blend of two two uh, friends trying to sort of like coming up with an idea and then articulating it in musical form perfectly and it making sense to both of them exactly what they were trying to do from the outset. I feel like that, mm. yeah, I don't feel like either of us compromised on anything. It was just, you know what I mean? It, yeah. was a, it was an absolute kind of like fusion of ideas that just really work. All through the year we waited We waited through spring and fall To hear silver bells ringing and winter time bringing the happiest season of all. so lovely that every year it seems to be you know this lovely warm thing that people still get excited about albeit on a kind of culty level but you know and it's funny you get tweets or messages like now sort of in september october being like is it too early to (laughs) take that record and i must say 
you know, we're, we're lucky, aren't we? Early on, we had such champions of that record in James Corden, in Dermot, in yourself, uh, you know, it just, and on the radio, people enjoying it. And then just people Simon everywhere. Meal. Simon Mayer, Simon Mayer or Joe Wiley. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's had a big old club of... <laughs> Simon Mayer loves it. Yeah. We love yeah. you, Simon Mayer. Yeah, totally. Um, He's, he, yeah, every time I see him, he always mentions it. Yeah, like, he had a tear in his eye, didn't he? From my screenings of, like, you know, the new Tom Cruise film, he still mentions... <laughs> he still mentions Smith and Murrow. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, we are very lucky. We had such lovely... I think we played one of the songs last year on the radio, and I think Simon started crying there. He was like, "What? what oh, yeah, it was about? it not his last show with Joe?" Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, because he was like, "What? Why does Smith and Burrows always make us cry?" And I was like, "Maybe it's because it's your last show. I don't know. It might not, be, not might not be our fault." But the great thing is, is like because it's become this kind of Christmas thing, and it, it has that. You know, it's not a Christmas album, but it has the kind of I don't know. It's the essence of Christmas in. Well, it, I think it? I think Tom did an, a, a brilliant job in making it not feel too. Not making it too, it didn't feel too tinsely and Christmassy. It felt a little darker, a little bit cooler. I think it's the dark, know. the dark Lord of India. Yeah, well, exactly. The dark, when the Dark Lord of India meets Captain Christmas, you've got, you've got, you've Smith got, you've 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 Twenty twenty one has given us a brand new Smith and Burroughs album, which is is the complete opposite of of what you're just you know the kind of it's got this incredible. I keep joking about it being the kind of Hawaiian shirt album. It is a bit Hawaiian shirt, but it's just it's full of the 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 sound of it, the melodic nature of this record has got so much positivity and happiness in it. It's just wonderful. Yeah, totally. And 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 don't get me wrong, it's still a bit sad. It wouldn't be complete without... Uh, it's light know, and shade, it's important, Yeah, yeah, definitely. It? But uh, yeah, it's a total joy and it was a total joy to make. And, and very much like the Chris, Christmas album, this new Smith & Burroughs record, I think was probably the perfect outlet and offloading for both Tom and myself outside mm. of the other things that we both do. And I think that that's why there's so much joy to it, I think. I think we had an absolute blast creating the demos up in your loft. And um, and then going over to Nashville and recording it with Jakia King, it was just every every single thing about it was an absolute joy. I get, I feel so happy even talking about it. You know, um, what an amazing thing it is to make make an album with your with your best mate. You know, yeah. yeah. I always used to joke when I had last had a regular radio show. Yeah. Every time I played America, I would always go, "Oh yeah, that's the brilliant America Red Light written by Andy Burroughs." <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to uh, ask about how. The, I mean, you wrote some massive songs mm. as part of that group, yeah, and kind of collaboratively and and whatnot. But how much you learnt from that experience, both in terms of as a songwriter, uh, as a lyricist, yeah. but also you know, with every experience that you have in life, and I absolutely agree with this that you learn the things that you don't want to do. Mm. So you learn the good things and you learn the bad things. So you learn the ways that you want to go in the past. You want to take and you also go, I've done that. I don't want to do that again. Or that was an experience. And within that, I didn't want to, I didn't like that bit. So was that very much that kind of thing for you being part of Raise Light for the, the time you are? What, like learning things that I don't want to do? Both. Well, Both in terms of learning, learning, you know, what you learned as a songwriter and a, and a lyricist. and But then also the things that you learn within a band situation that you don't want to do again. You don't want to repeat. You go, I've done that. Yeah. I mean, you know, so the thing about without, I don't want I won't try my hardest not to make this too long and boring, but like the thing about me is I've kind of gone in a, the kind of the wrong way round with my career. Like I only ever wanted to be a drummer in a band, like genuinely. I was just so obsessed with that 
from like age seven, eight. And I'm, and I felt so lucky that I've always known what I wanted to do because I always just wanted to be a drummer in a band. So I spent all of my teens in bands, like without fail. I didn't, I mean, I barely went to school because I was just doing bands and basically never successful because I got to, you know, if, if you think I started doing it, you know, in pubs and clubs from like age 14. And then by the time I was 23, I was still just living at home. So that's a long time, especially when you're that young. That's a long, long, long time of just being a drummer in a band. So I did start to think age 23, I was like, maybe actually, maybe my whole sort of being determined and knowing what I want to do wasn't such a good thing because it hasn't worked. And then obviously Ray's Light happened and it just went absolutely, you know, nuts very quickly. But at that point, I was still just wanted to just be a drummer. And even when Johnny would say, you know, can you sing the backing vocals? I heard you singing at rehearsal and stuff. I was like, oh, no, I can't really sing. I don't like singing at the same time. He's like, you need to sing. We need backing vocals. So I started doing that. I was like, oh, okay, okay fair enough. I'll sing the backing vocals. <laughs> and then, like, then it's like, you know, you, I know you can write music. You've been playing music. I hear you play music. You know, can you help me write some songs or can we do some writing together? Or, I mean, I don't, not help me write songs, but can you come and do some writing? And then I started writing a little bit and I started writing. And then obviously we started writing songs. And then America went to number one. What a drag it is, the shape I'm in. Well, I go out somewhere, then I come home again A lot of cigarettes, I can't get no sleep There's nothing on the TV, nothing on the radio That means that much to me All my life, I'm watching America All my life, it's panic in America So like the, the, the bizarre, the, the speed at which I went from being a not particularly confident, I mean, I was a very confident drummer, but just not very confident in, you know, in anything else, to going to having a number one single and album in this band that had gone massive was a really odd way to go. Because it's not mm. like I had a bank of songs before. I mean, I tried writing songs and stuff, but I never, I never recorded anything. I never brought my songs to the singer of any band that I've been in before. It just never happened. So that was kind of like the wrong way around. Mm. You write a song and then it goes massive. And I'm like, oh, right. So maybe I'm a songwriter is what I started to think. Maybe, maybe I'm a songwriter. So I tried writing a couple of other songs. And then by the time the third album came along, I wrote like four or five songs with Johnny. And we're writing lots of songs together. And the same thing with the film stuff that I've done. You know, it didn't. And, and, and I really want to be careful to make sure I'm not making it sound like, oh, you know, and I never meant it to happen. And then just everything happened. I don't mean that. It's just more, it's weird that for me, it has all felt so natural and it has felt really, really incredible and amazing. And like, it's always been a part of me, but I yeah. just haven't, re I didn't, I never saw any of that as the path. And then here I am and I've got loads of solo albums and I've done stuff with Tom and, and, and Ricky. And all the other people you've written with. Yeah, and I just, extraordinary. And I, yeah, and I don't mean, yeah, but I don't mean it in like a boasty way. I just mean like sometimes I sit around, sit around, well, a lot of the time I sit around, especially at the moment, I sit around all the time. <laughs> There's a lot of sitting around going on. But, and I just sort of think, you know, it's, it, it, you know, I just feel, you know, very, very lucky to have gone from drumming to having done all of this stuff. But, you know, the stuff, the uh, America and Ray's like, you know, that was all stuff that I did with Johnny and we, we very much did it together. I think America was always, um, just a funny one because, you know, songs always start with one person. They always, you know, an idea has to start somewhere. You don't just suddenly say the same word. Yeah, yeah. And I think just because I had a lot to do with that song, then obviously it ended up just seeming like it was mine. But, you know, I, I, I owe a lot to that guy. <laughs> I love, I, I nearly sung it at, to you earlier when you were talking about when we came back from America. Uh, and yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, my life. <laughs> Coming back from America. <laughs> um, what's next? Coming back from America. Um, Do you make plans? 
I mean, none of us can make plans at the minute. <laughs> well, yeah. I've got loads of plans. Oh. No, um, yeah, I mean, I, I uh, well, this record with, with The Smith at the moment, and we're managing to do a bit of sort of promo from bedrooms and... Garages. Yeah. Uh, so we, we've got that going on, and I guess that'll go into next year. Maybe we'll get to play a couple of shows. I mean, I've no idea. <laughs> I know it's... it's um, it's it's odd to think about. We, we, there's a couple of shows in, and we'll see. I'd like to, you know, um, I'd like to have a record on my own. I wouldn't mind. I'd definitely like to play the drums again a lot. Yeah. I'd like to get back on the drums. I think that's something that's really been missing uh, recently. And now, now I get now since we've moved out to the countryside, I've got a little room with a drum kit in it, which I haven't had for any of my adult life. I haven't had drum kit at home, so it's quite nice to. Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where's Andy? Yeah. The turkey's ready. <laughs> Andy! Uh, uh, so, yeah, so that's, that's, I think drums is, if there was anything, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm really excited, hopefully, to work, just to continue working with the wonderful people that I'm lucky enough to work with. But I wouldn't, I'd love to get back on the drums. That's really been missing. Out and play live. Out and play live. Yeah, and just have drums at the forefront of some stuff again. Yeah. Why are they always at the back of the stage? I think just because they're the loudest okay. thing. So I, yeah, that's a good question though. Yeah. Also, I guess if they're at the front, you've always the... had great. Like I remember, like seeing you with ways like you always had really good sort of like drum production. Drum like production. like I remember at Reading, there was like there were there was stairs a, going yeah. all the way up to you and stuff. Yeah, that was. was amazing. That staircase was incredible. No one could get up it either because I made it so that all the steps were really. <laughs> so they have to stay down there. Yeah. Stay down the there, steps, minions. The steps were all really like small, just too small for anyone's small feet. <laughs> so you couldn't climb up to see me. It was those, you know, those kind of weird like sort of, um, sort of schmuck viewing platforms that you get at the side of <laughs> yeah. side of stage stuff yeah. and they're always kind of high up yeah it was like you were literally eyeline level with you at, yeah i was right, really was high. So high up and i remember the first time when i climbed up that thing because it was my idea to have it really high because i wanted it to be like ringo ringo used to be on mm-hmm. a real high rise when i wanted to be like that and when i got up there i was like why have I, why have i made this so high it's horrible <laughs> but I, it was stuck like that for two years <laughs> i got first i was like oh dear whoops <laughs> Um, but no, that's good. yeah, I used to have a lot of. It's nice that you say drum production because I, I, maybe I did have quite good drum production. Great. Yeah, when it started, I got um, Stu Wilkinson, Stu who plays with me and was my drum tech back then. Amazing Stu. Um, but when he first started re- working for Razorlight, before he became my drum tech, he was Plant Man. Uh, now Plant <laughs> Plant Man's duty was because I was getting a bit nervous because everything had gone a bit quick and we got real big really quick. So I got plants in front of my drum kit to make it feel like I was at a garden centre or something. <laughs> And that was Stu's first job, was to like get the right plants and put them in the right place. And then he elevated to drum tech. But that, yeah. So anyway, but, but that's the, I think that's where my drum production began, plants. Right. It feels like we should finish off with it being Christmas Day and all. Um, Merry Christmas, everybody, by Merry the Christmas. way. Merry um, Christmas. Merry Christmas. And past the roast potatoes. And, um, <laughs> oh, I'm hungry. Oh, well, me too. Smith's just texted, actually, saying He's lunch. In, yeah. <laughs> I should explain that we're in our... Um, not that we live together, but, <laughs> we, but we're in my little office in the house and Tom's downstairs, hopefully making us lunch right now. Um, but what would we, what should we play um, as the as the going out song oh for this episode of the podcast? Uh, what is it, um, what's the... It's Christmas Day. Oh, so just a, Chris, a Christmas song. Whatever. Whatever you think. Well, I think perhaps then I should take this opportunity to plug a bit of Smith and & Burroughs and, and, uh, and a song by Tom and I. That I absolutely adore, and I think is a, an amazing bit of work by me and him, which is this ain't New Jersey. Yes. Merry Christmas, Andy. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, Edith. I ain't laughing. I didn't hear the joke anyway. 
I got my fingers on the window as the snow makes this a prison. Tomorrow will be Christmas Day. I took you drinking to say the things that I needed to say. You drank me under the table like you always do. The radio just plays away from those same old songs every single year. We drink, we sing, and I forget the things that I need you to hear. Then we argue as the snow seals us in for the night. You say Santa Claus is coming, but I don't care what the song says. That's never gonna sound quite right. And this ain't New Jersey. Father Christmas is coming to town. You throw your drink in my face, throw that look in my direction, and the radio plays on and on. And those same old songs every single year. As written by Andy Burrows and Smith, as he calls him, that's This Ain't New Jersey by Smith and Burrows, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with my dear old friend, hugely talented friend, Mr. Andy Burrows. My huge thanks to Andy for taking the time to talk to us. If ever there was a time to watch Snowman and the Snow Dog, it's now. And please note, vested interest alert, the brand new Smith and Burrows album is out in February. Thank you, as I said at the start, so much once again for your support throughout this god-awful year. Making this podcast has genuinely been one of the things that has kept us going. Uh, Please do continue to follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and we'll be back in the new year. Uh, Our first episode is kind of going across New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and we're going to start with a double header. We've got Tessa Thompson, the fabulously talented Tessa Thompson, talking about loads of things, including her new film, Sylvie's Love, which is beautiful. But we also talk about how she had to get involved in composing music for her role in the Creed films. And as well as Tessa, Pete Doctor, the legendary Pete Doctor from the world of Pixar. He wrote Toy Story 1 and 2. He wrote and directed uh, Inside Out and Up. And his new film, Soul, which came out today, in fact, on Disney+, Plus, is absolutely extraordinary. And as you'll hear on next week's show, he talks at length about how he, for the film, he kind of encompassed two different worlds for composing. But you'll hear more about that on next week's show. Merry Christmas, one and all, um, from me and Ben to you. Um, Our greatest thanks and we wish you all safe and wonderful festivities if you're able to have them. Take care and stay safe and I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company in the new year.